Welcome to episode 32 of the Avatar Hour podcast, your ultimate companion podcast to the world of Avatar. I'm Andre. And I'm Kayla. And this week we will be recapping episode 203, Return to Amashu, and 204, The Swamp, from season 2 of Avatar The Last Airbender. Before we start, we do want to warn you that this podcast will be mentioning spoilers for Avatar The Last Airbender, The Legend of Korra, and Rise of Kiyoshi. However, you are free from spoilers about The Shadow of Kiyoshi, as well as any Avatar Universe comic books. Before we get into the recap episode, how are you doing this week, Kayla? Oh god, I just finished this eight-week grad-level course that's, you know, taxing emotionally and physically and emotionally. And that same day, that same day that I was finishing the class, I found out that that class will not apply to my grad school degree at all. <sighs> so I just wasted eight weeks of my life over this final 30, almost 40 page assignment that I handed in last night. Lily found that out the day, the last day of that class, that it would not count towards, like I would not count, I don't think it would count for credit for my degree. And I didn't learn anything that would actually help me with my uh, master's degree. Why didn't your advisor clock this? <sighs> I guess maybe because I end up going to like, there's like a two-year program and like a one-year program within the marketing degree. And like there's some differences, but I guess those differences are huge. <sighs> God. Yeah, so. that's time and money you're spending, you know? Exactly. I'm peeved. I know, I know that a lot of people that this has happened to, especially they'll get to senior year and then realize, oh... I need one more course to graduate and it's the last semester. And then they end up having to do like an extra semester and spend uh, half a year's worth of tuition. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. It's College nuts. is a scam y'all. Yep. Just a bit. Uh, <sighs> so not doing great, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. And that, and that realm, not great, but like that class is over. So like, there's a relief, a little bit of relief, even though I just got That's scammed, good. you know, that it's, it's over, <laughs> yeah. you know, but yeah. also, another good news, I just scheduled my appointment to get my vaccine next Friday. That's right. That's so exciting. I'm so excited to see people in my life going to get this thing. Like, I literally got a, I was like doing, actually, I wasn't doing anything. I was watching something that I will recommend in our recommendations se section of this podcast. But I was watching the thing and like I got a message in my class group chat for my queer theory class. And they're like, hey, they got vaccine slots up. And I'm like, <clears throat> like, I pull out my phone immediately start typing in my information on the website and I uh, ran out in the pouring rain to get my insurance cards for my car. Well, that's good. I mean, um, the Associated Press posted today that Biden said that he is requiring all states to um, give vaccinations to adults by May 1st. Hell yeah. So starting May 1st, you may actually be able to get the vaccine, which is great news. And he even said that, you know, there might be a chance of actually having some small July 4th gatherings. If you celebrate that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but, you know, it, it is also, a, I think, a year today, March 11th, when things started shutting down. Oh, God. I got all my Facebook reminder, like Facebook memories of that. And mm -hmm. I'm like having like flashbacks. Anyway, I interrupted you. Keep going. <laughs> no, that's OK. I've been feeling the same thing. I've been I, I looked at my Snapchat memories like yesterday and it was like a selfie of me, like feeling myself in like a restaurant or something. I'm thinking, oh, my God, a day before all that happened i had no idea like oh it's crazy i still thought i was going to get to see a show on broadway that month like broadway is coming back very slowly there are um some performances scheduled for july um the west end is coming back in a couple months too so we are slowly crawling out of this but you know I hate to be a, heavy, a Debbie Downer at all. I am very hopeful. I am very yeah. optimistic. And if you guys are interested, maybe we can do an av Avatar After Hour talking about how 
this pandemic has affected us personally because I, could Actually, be, I feel like that could be a very interesting conversation, even though it's not Avatar related. I'm going to write that down. People like us, I think. Yeah. yeah. But how are you doing? Because I talked a lot about me. <laughs> well, yeah, really quick. I just wanted to say I'm feeling great because th- those stimulus checks are going to be coming out soon. Um, they just passed them, I think, yesterday. So Biden said this weekend we'll start getting them. I'll you know wait to see it. I did not know this, too, that if you're acclaimed as a dependent, um, you are still getting the stimulus, but it might end up in the bank account of the person claiming you as a dependent. So make sure whether that's your parents or somebody else, make sure you go to them and be like, hey, keep an eye out for $1,400 in your bank account because that could text, be mine. I'm going to text my dad that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely. Oh, my God. Thanks cool. for letting me know. Why don't you uh, talk about the news or the lack of news while I go light a candle? <laughs> you go do that. Well, there's no Avatar news this week, but there is Avatar Hour news because we just did an interview with the guys over at J&J Studios who are currently working on an Avatar Universe fan film called The Last of the Airbenders. We talked about how they got into the fandom, some of the behind the scenes work that goes into making this film and a bunch of other cool stuff. So make sure you follow them at Live Action Avatar on Instagram and TikTok and subscribe to J&J Studios on YouTube. That is J-A-Y, the letter N, J-A-Y Studios on YouTube to make sure you stay up to date on their project and other things they are working on. And that's it for the news section. Yes. And can I just say um, the the guys over at J&J Studios, Jonathan, Justin and Kian are some of the coolest, sweetest guys we've ever talked to. Oh, yeah. Like, um, we obviously didn't put it in the interview, but we actually stayed on for another, like, 30 minutes after we stopped recording to talk, and they wanted to, like, know things about us, and they were just, they're just super cool people, so go definitely give go give that, listen, uh, get, give that interview a listen and um, make sure to watch that film when it comes out because they showed us some really cool stuff from the film, and it is, it's good. It's, it's good. good. And stuff. you all know how we feel about live-action stuff. So if we're saying we're a little we impressed them. by what they've what they've showed us, then you know it's all good. It's exactly. all good. Exactly. So let's start with the recap of two o three return to Omashu. So the gang arrive at Omashu, which has completely been taken over by the Fire Nation. Um, Kintara and Sokka are clocking all this. They think it's too dangerous, so they're trying to get Aang to leave and move on. And like you know, there are other Earthbending teachers that we can find, but Aang insists on going in to rescue Boomy. He said it's not about finding an earthbending teacher is about rescuing his friend. Um, so they use a secret entrance through the sewers to sneak into a mashu. Um, and poor Sokka, because he's not a bender, is um, really getting just facefuls of this stuff. And I'll just keep it to stuff because I don't really want to think about it too much. Um, so they <laughs> exit from a sewer grate. Um, and Sokka emerges with two pentapuses, pentapi. Pentapeople. Pent people <laughs> on his face. They're and so cute, cute, though. Actually, give me one second. Hold on. I have, I have this stuffed animal that actually kind of looks like one. This is Bob. Oh my god, is that that <laughs> octopus thing? I keep seeing ads for on Facebook. It looks like yes. a pent. It looks like a pentapus. I keep seeing ads. It for that does. It does. Just put it so right on your. On, I look completely ridiculous. So I mean, so did Sokka. It's okay. Uh, <laughs> Screen grab this. Yeah, but they are so cute. Um, Aang easily removes them by tickling them, which I think is the cutest fucking thing ever um they get noticed by some fire nation soldiers accusing them of breaking curfew and they notice the spot the blotches uh, on Sokka. and when they ask about them katara tells them that it's pentapox and because they believe her and they don't want to catch it themselves because they're like didn't your cousin like die from this um they're just like okay work and then they flee insert joke about pandemic covid whatever here 
yeah yeah timely really very if you're timely. watching the episode Eesh. on march 11th um so we cut to azula's <laughs> ship and lo and lee are warning azula that if she is going to capture zuko and iroh then traveling with the royal procession may attract some unwanted attention and slow her down and by this i'm assuming they meant um they won't accidentally slip up and call the people you're trying to capture prisoners when you try um, to lure them in yeah exactly so azula agrees and says she needs a small elite team and that it's time to meet up with some old friends dot 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 um as the gang continue to search for boomy we meet may who is taking an evening stroll with her mother complaining about how boring amashu is um and then unbeknownst to them a small battalion of earthbenders are above them and they try to attack them, and then Aang, seeing that you know these boulders are barreling towards these pe- these people, he intervenes. May's mother thinks that Aang is actually attacking them and is part of the revolution, which is not the first misunderstanding of this episode. And May takes the opportunity to escape boredom and goes after the gang. And she has these really cool like darts or knives or something that she like you know. I guess throws at them. I don't nice. exactly know how it works, She's but nice it's girl. cool because you know some really cool non-bender representation going on, um, and I think it's cool that I mean jumping a little ahead here, but Azula, of, of all people, picks two non-benders mm-hmm. to bring into her little group for this mission. So I think that's really cool. Her Charlie's Angels type thing going on. <laughs> Their chase is quickly cut off when Earthbenders bend Ankatar and Sokka into the ground away from harm. Uh, we cut to somewhere else, and we see Azula reuniting with Tai Lee, an acrobatic performer and a chi blocker, um, in some circus in the middle of nowhere, somewhere in the Fire Nation. Um, and I'm watching this entire interaction, and I'm thinking, like, it's weird seeing Azula seem so, like, friendly and warm and, like, hugging people. You know what I mean? Yeah. I... That is weird. Azula's I mean, I know it's effect. it's it's all also probably all fake. Okay. Like she like knows she needs to do this to manipulate her, but um, yeah, I don't know. It just makes makes me think like if Ozai didn't fuck Azula up, like this is probably the person we could have got, you know. Mm-hmm. So Azula invites Tylee to join her in her mission to capture Zuko and Iroh, but Tylee politely declines, saying that she's happy at the circus and that her aura has never been pinker. And Azula assents, surprisingly. And tells her that she will catch her show before she leaves, making Tylee visibly nervous. Yeah, she has every right to be. Ex- exactly. <laughs> and it's interesting because, like, Tylee is obviously excited to see Azula, but at the mention of this, she is also visibly nervous. Mm-hmm. So you're just kind of like, it's like this weird dynamic going on. So back to the underground resistance base in Omashu, Aang asks if Boomi is with them, leading the resistance, and they tell him that on the day of the invasion, Boomi told them to do nothing. And he let the Fire Nation claim Omashu. And they're, you know, talking about fighting for their freedom, even if it means dying. And Aang suggests that instead that they leave Omashu instead of directing all of their energy in trying to fight the Fire Nation. So it's a very um, non-pacifist, classic airbender sort of way of handling things. Um, but it's like, you know, it's obvious at this point, the, the power of the Fire Nation. There's a little hesitancy, but they all generally agree that fighting another day sounds a lot better than dying. And then Sokka suggests, um, that the population of Amashu pretend that they have pentapox as a way of mass evacuating the city without any real conflict or struggle, which is a really fucking good idea. And then Sokka and Katara lead the sick citizens while Aang goes off to try and find Boomy. Hordes of, uh, sick 
quote unquote, citizens appear and the Fire Nation guards believe it and think thinks there's this plague sweeping the city. Um, word makes it up to May's father, who is also the quote unquote governor of Amashu, and he orders them to drive the sick out of the city. Everything seems to be going pretty well so far for them and continues to search for Boomy and he finds Flopsy. Yay. Was chained up in a small courtyard, and he—they've put him to work for some godforsaken reason. Oosh. And Aang frees him, and the pair go and look for Boomy. We cut to Momo, who is on a side quest for some food because that's what it is. He sneaks into a room full of fruit and grabs the attention of the governor's toddler, who yanks on his tail as toddlers do. And he ends up dragging the baby outside of the window and across the city. Until he finally lets go and starts wandering around unsupervised. I was literally watching this last night and I texted Andre like, May's parents straight up suck. Like, you know, where's the supervision around here? At least have like, you know, if, if, the, if the parents can't be around to watch the kid and like have like, you know, you guys are higher up enough in the city, governor and governor's wife and all that stuff. Go get a freaking nanny to watch the kid. Yeah. <clears throat> There's also They're also on a balcony with very wide rails. Like... <laughs> And they're just letting this baby walk around. Yep. I don't know. Also, Avatar Wiki said that May's mother is voiced by Grey Delisle, and I cannot hear it. I mean, Grey Delisle is very good at what she does as a voice actor. She does she does like a bunch of different voices across Avatar, like period, and plenty yeah, of other cartoons. True. You know, I just when I when I found out that bit, I was like, oh really? And then I tried to listen to it again. I was like, I just I just don't hear it. I don't know. It also said D. Bradley Baker was. It just said he was credited. It didn't say who he played, so I'm assuming he's just there to provide some random voices. Yeah. Um. He's probably like all the voices in that in that uh zombie herd of people with pentapox. Probably. I wouldn't put it past him. I mean, it's like that. It's like that thing in SpongeBob where like one voice actor plays like four characters. It's probably that. I mean, here's the thing: it's more it's cheaper to hire one actor to do a bunch of different voices rather than five sure. actors to do you know one voice. You know, so. Sure. People that were super talented, like Great Lyle and Dee Bradley Baker and, you know, Tom Kenny, just SpongeBob, Tara Strong, all the people who basically voiced your entire childhood can do a million different voices and you probably wouldn't even recognize them. Oh, totally. Exactly. Um, at the circus, the ringmaster asks Azula to let him know if there's any way he can make the show more entertaining and enjoyable. Soon after, Tylee performs a feat of balance on the high wire. Azula then asks the ringmaster to have the net, which is positioned below Tylee, removed. And then she's like, ah, no, that's been done before. Can we set it on fire? And then unwilling to refuse a direct order from a member of the Fire Nation royal family, uh, the ringmaster sets the net ablaze. As the fire grows, Tylee becomes more and more anxious, and the ringmaster is also clearly worried for Tylee's safety. And Azula's like, oh, that's much better. (laughs) Um, And Azula subsequently orders the ringmaster to release all of his dangerous animals inside the tent. Again, the ringmaster complies. Um, very ham-fisted way of doing things, Azula. It gets her point across. What did you think about this in terms of, like, Azula manipulating the situation and also Ty Lee? I mean, that's who she is. She's a she's a master manipulator, and sometimes it's some interesting choices that she makes with, uh, <laughs> you know, getting people to do what she wants, you know? I mean, here's the thing. Yeah. I don't even... I think Ty Lee is in on all of this. Like, she knows that, like... You know, I think she knows exactly what the Zulu was doing with like the the fire and the, you know, the animals being mm-hmm. released in the tent. Like, I think she, you know, knew full well that was her. And like, yeah. you know, her, you know, I, I think, she, yeah, I think at this point she knows Zulu well. And if she was nervous when Zulu said she's going to stick around for the performance, she probably knew something was going to happen. I think she's a lot smarter than people 
give her credit for and i think also the whole like my or you know like my you know pink auras and you know optimism and things like that tends to you know make people underestimate her so sure so you don't think um ty lee was like she she full well knew oh, it's like that darn old azula again going around doing crazy shit like you think that ty lee definitely knew that this was just a ploy to get ty lee to quit the circus absolutely and like i think she pulled the you know oh like you know the, the spiritual stuff a little bit with pull, pulling with auras and the universe giving her a sign I think she's she like, you know, while Azul is manipulating her and persuading, you know, getting her to come over to her side, mm-hmm. I think also Ty Lee in turn is also doing a tiny bit of manipulation herself, making her Azul kind of underestimate like, you know, her mental capabilities a little bit too, I think. A little bit. That's interesting. Am I, I putting on I agree. a persona of like the you know, the sweet spiritual aura universe signs person? Yeah, I think it's definitely definitely a front. The same way I think may's sort of i don't care i hate everything kind of (laughs) yeah i think that's also kind of like a a facade because i don't think anyone was expecting for her to bust out those darts and knives and shit Mm -hmm. you know she seems she seems very like over it but like at the first chance of like anything happening she's like full knives out knives out knives out yeah naruto running Uh, exactly (laughs) um (laughs) God, I know it's I know it's a practical thing that they used to do, but I just I I just can't. After the show, Azula congratulates Tylee on an exquisite performance, and it appears that she's had a sudden change of heart and believes that the universe is giving her signs of her needing a career change, and she ex- accepts Azula's invitation to join her mission. So I I think it's interesting that she decided to cover up her decision to join her as something else, exactly, rather than being like fine. I'll join you. Exactly. Like she wanted Azula to think it was her decision to leave. Exactly. It's just like a nice, it's a nice build up to what happens in season three between Ty Lee and May and Azula. Mm-hmm. I think this is like the little little pin in that. Yeah. <laughs> um, on the outskirts outside of Amashu, Aang returns with Flopsy after a fruitless search to find Boomy, and the gang discovers that the governor's son has accidentally found his way into the evacuation. Uh, May's parents, however, believe that the resistance have kidnapped their son. Uh, so a messenger hawk appears from the governor and proposes a trade, his son for King Bumi. Meanwhile, Azula and Tai Lee arrive in Omashu and, reuni- and reunite with May. When told of Azula's mission, May accepts completely and immediately, and she's thrilled to help Azula and is looking for anything to get her out of Omashu. Azula then confronts the governor and tells him that he has direly mishandled the situation and tells him that there is no more Amashu and she renames the city New Ozai in honor of her father and places May in charge of handling the trade, excluding the governor completely. So this is interesting. A lot of Azula Bells we'll get to later. <laughs> um but yeah, it is it is honestly crazy the way I mean I know she has a certain status as, you know, princess of the Fire Nation, but also just the way she can walk into a room and completely be like yeah, this happened, and yeah, you did that wrong, and you're a buffoon, and I'm going to fix everything. Yeah, like, very commanding presence, quite exactly. literally. So they're meeting upon this, like, parapet or scaffold sort of situation. It's the scaffolding. They're building an Ozai statue in the middle of Amashu. Um, Aang, Katara, and Sokka approach Azula, Tylee, and May, who are ready to trade. Boomy comes down. He's trapped in a metal coffin. Um... But before they can trade, Azula's comments on how trading a powerful earth be- earthbending king 
for a two-year-old doesn't seem like a fair exchange. As a result, May, apparently, you know, no love lost between this little brother, agrees to call off the deal. They hoist Boomy upward, and as Aang goes to try and free him, the turban hat that he was using to cover his arrow slips off, and Azula immediately clocks him that he is the Avatar and goes after him. Uh, Katara tries to hold off May and Tai Lee with some top-notch water bending. I, I have it to was say, so cool. that part where she bends a slice of water into the wood and those wood planks yes. come up. Yes, that's what, like that's literally I was about to comment on that. And then like she ca- and like it catches all the knives, like you know, like a knife to like a cutting board almost. You know. Yeah, so cool. <sighs> so I cool. love I love seeing Katara coming into her own with her water bending. Yeah, and Aang is trying to like try to freeze the chain to free King Boomy. Azula attacks them out of nowhere and sends Aang and Boomy onto the viaducts that we saw gang right the gang riding in season one. Um, so it's you know a lot lot less of a fun roller coaster type of thing and more of like a death ride. Um, <laughs> uh, Katara continues to hold off May and Tai Lee, but Tai Lee incapacitates her and her bending is temporarily disabled. And this is a really cool line when May asks, "What are you going to do without your bending?" And Sokka swoops in and says, "He seems to manage without it." Um, just really good writing. I oh, like it a lot. Yeah. Um, so Katara and Sokka and the baby, they escape on Appa. They try and grab Aang and Boomy, but they completely miss. And Aang sends them onto another viaduct. Azula continues blasting at Aang, but Boomy, still trapped inside his coffin, earthbends a barrier in the track by using his uncovered face. And Azula barely avoids the obstacle and is forced to come to a stop. I don't know why, but I completely forgot this happened. Um, and it is interesting. I think the Avatar wiki even says that King Boomy is the only earthbender we've seen so far that does not need to be connected to the earth to bend it, which is really interesting. You're right. Huh. Yeah. Damn. When Aang asks why he didn't free himself or why he didn't fight back when Omashu was invaded, Boomy tells him that there are options in fighting called Jing. Fighting is positive Jing and retreating is negative Jing. However, Boomy notes that there is a third form of Jing, neutral Jing, which consists of doing neither and waiting for the opportune moment to strike which is why he surrendered the city and why he must go back to his captors. And this is a really cool thing, especially putting in the context of everything that happens in Avatar. I mean, Boomy says there are actually 85 <laughs> forms of Jing and that Momo has mastered some himself. But putting every conflict in Avatar in the box of those three things is just really interesting to look at. And also, I think, too, we get some nods to this in Rise of Kyoshi we as do. well. We do. There are straight up mentions of neutral Jing. Like, I mean, the first one that comes to mind is when Kyoshi is, uh, you know, getting bullied by those girls in the beginning of the book and just holding that jar and like she's just mm-hmm. literally mentioning neutral jing and as soon as like boomy said neutral jing i'm like i remember that <laughs> yeah and well he From also says that neutral jing is the the key to earth bending so it's all about waiting and listening so before he leaves he tells ang he must learn from a master who is master neutral Jing, someone who waits and someone who listens before striking and that he will see him again when the time is right Interesting enough, credits to Avatar Wiki again, Boomy does not actually see Aang again after this in the show. Obviously, he comes back at the end, but he and Aang never have any sort of uh, interaction. Oh my god, that's right. Aww. Yeah, so this is the this is the last time we actually see them talking and together in the show. And um, the fact that he goes back up backwards, like he yeah. literally goes back up the slide by himself. Like just he goes up it and just meanwhile laughing maniacally. I'm like classic boomy yeah. that was amazing Crackhead, too yeah. <laughs> you um, know one of his eyes is a different color from the other like one like one eye is like slightly like one iris is like slightly lighter than the other that was something i just noticed. oh is it yeah 
Well, I know one is like ridiculously larger than the other but one. The colors are different too. Oh, interesting. Like I one's like I mean it's the that. same color, but one's like a little bit lighter than the other. So it makes them look even more crazy and crackhead. <laughs> interesting. Okay. Anyway continue so we're departing from the city azula rides in her palanquin with may and tai lee beside her tai lee asks may if it'll be interesting seeing suko again and may hides a smile put a pin in that ignoring the comment azula tells him that in addition to zuko and iroh they now have a third target to pursue the avatar and while we're at it we'll pick up the avatar too <laughs> right so um i mean listen these girls brought down the earth kingdom capital in like a day so you know avatar no big deal so far um that evening, as the governor and his wife stand on their porch, Aang, unseen by them, lands behind them with Tom Tom. Uh, setting the child on the ground, he jumps to the roof as his parents turn around and joyously reunite with their son. Aang smiles, then turns away and disappears into the night. I think this, um, while it feels like a tag to go at the end of the episode, I feel like it's like weirdly saying a lot, and this might just be me reading into it too much, but there is that scene in the camp outside of Amashu where Katara is like, you know, playing with the kid and being like, oh, you're so cute. You're so cute. And then the leader of the resistance being like, yeah, he's cute now. But when he grows older, he's going to be a member of the Fire Nation army. And he, you won't think he's cute that much. And it reminds me of that conversation in one of the last episodes of Avatar where they bring out the picture of baby Ozai. And they're just like, oh, look how cute. And because the, they think it's Zuko. And Zuko's like, that's not me. That's my father. And they're like, how can a cute baby like this grow up to be a terrible person, you know? So I don't know exactly what the connection is, but there is, I feel like there is something there. There's something. And just the fact that Aang can like ignore the boundaries of the nations and just you know, reunite a child with his mom and dad, which I think also ties into the philosophy of what the next episode is about. So we'll come around to that. But first, before we go into the next episode, we are going to take a break to get our ad read. We'll see you after the break. And we're back with episode four, The Swamp, a.k.a. the Florida Man episode, as I've been calling it for the last week. So mm -hmm. we open up with Zuko and Iroh sitting on the street uh, in a village and they're begging for money because, you know, they're tied off, the, you know, they're cut off from the Fire Nation, quite literally. And Zuko wants to keep whatever is left of his dignity, and he refuses to beg for money. Meanwhile, Iroh is pulling his sweet old man card to coax coins out of passerby. One man uh, forces Iroh to sing for a gold coin and forces him to quote-unquote dance by swiping at his feet with a sword. Uh, Zuko is super pissed at this, doesn't do anything. Uh, he's super pissed at how the swordsman humiliated Iroh and later decides to take matters into his own hands, as we see at the end of the episode put a pit in that also we can't ignore the complete bop that is it's a long long way to bossing say it's a bop it is a great song i love the song <laughs> in avatar anyway meanwhile the gang are flying on appa over a swamp and they start slowly losing altitude as ang is sort of entranced by this swamp sokka asks why they're landing and ang replies that he feels like the swamp was calling to him the gang then collectively decide to get away from said swamp because it's giving them all the heebie-jeebies but then a sudden tornado strikes and chases them because what are the odds? Florida. Uh, Aang tries to airbend a shield to protect them, but ultimately the gang gets separated from Appa and Momo in the storm or the tornado, and they crash into the swamp. I, I just want to say one of my favorite lines in the episode right there. Sokka, you got an elbow leech. Where? Where do you think? <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> why do things keep attaching to me? That's me with mosquitoes. Like, just why do they keep biting oh. me? 
I fucking hate mosquitoes. I love warm weather, but like mosquitoes, they see they, you know they see me as a Los Angeles style all you can eat buffet. They they just <laughs> devour. Yeah, I want I want the the warm weather back, but I do not want the bugs. Anyway, the tornado disappears. Uh, and cut to Appa and Momo. Appa is trapped in the vines, and Momo manages to chew him free, but then they crash land into the swamp water. Appa then tries to fly away, but keeps getting tangled in the vines, so it's too thick for him to fly, so he has to walk now. So Sokka, meanwhile, is haphazardly chopping, you know, chopping with his machete to get through those swamp plants, and Aang asks him to be nice to the swamp because this place feels like it's alive, like it's a living creature type thing. Appa then just straight up just Appa just straight up just lays on the ground after he can't fit through some of the growth. He's just like, I can't do this. I've been through too much shit today. Tornadoes, Mood. weird voodoo shit going on here. I can't do it. And Momo even tries grabbing the bison whistle and blows until Appa swats him with his tail. I there's no obviously no dialogue between Appa and Momo, but I just love how like you know their characterizations are like literally no dialogue. You know every, you know these characters so well, but like their dynamic is so funny to watch. So. I know. <sighs> anyway, the gang decides to make camp for the night, and it's getting a little spooky. Sokka tries reassuring them that there's something supernatural going on, and immediately a bird screams like a human or a fox, because apparently foxes scream like a person being murdered. Oh, yeah, girl. So that's oh, yeah. so there's there's your answer 2013. That's what the fox says. Okay. <laughs> anyway, I had to make the reference, guys. I'm sorry. I know. I hated it too, but I had to make the that reference. That was 2013. Yes, that was 2013. It is almost 10 years old, guys. I'm so old. I feel my crow's feet getting more prominent as we speak. Oh my god. Sokka then decides to build a fire to, you know, assuage people's worries a little bit, maybe ward off some bugs. Because he keeps dealing with bugs. Aang then says, again, we should probably be more careful about chopping stuff in the swamp. Sokka then mocks him, and Katara's like, guys, I think we're being, it feels like we're being watched. And it turns out, they are, because then the gang gets attacked by a swamp monster, separating them from each other. So, swamp thing is in, exists in the Avatar universe, Swamp Thing's a DC character. Anyway, had to make a quick, you know, reference. (laughs) Cut to two Florida men with hillbilly accents and leaf hats, because let's face it, we had to nail the Florida references even further with this episode. That's why I call it the (laughs) Florida Man episode, because it is. And uh, they've spotted Appa's giant footprints, and they decide to hunt Appa. And he's swimming through the swamp, and, you know, Momo tries catching a fly and gets attacked by a cat gator. So a new Avatar, you know, creature thing. It's like a cat, catfish, gator thing. So even more yeah. Florida, you know, is some gator in the water. Yeah. I I imagine that I want to think that Bryke visited Florida for like three days. And they were like, well, we want an episode that's like kind of like Florida. So we'll take all the stereotypes of the state. Yeah. It's like if they, it's like if the, the gang like got stuck in like. They got a spiritual awakening in Florida. No, it, no I'm, <laughs> it's like it's like the gang as if they were stuck in like an abandoned something and they were basing all the stereotypes on like LA. So all it was is like constant earthquakes, um, bad traffic, however that translates to Avatar and just like Valley people, but they're like firebenders or something. We had hippies. <laughs> we had hippies two episodes ago. So, you know, exactly. The I season mean, of stereotypes. I mean, it's kind of funny that we're going to keep Flo- referencing to Florida in this episode. The gang basically got, you know, a spiritual awakening in the, in Florida. The gang goes to Florida. Put that as like an It's Always Sunny title card. There's no yeah, I want, I want a postcard, yeah. So uh, the gang gets separated because of the swamp monster. And uh, so they're just trying to find just their way through the swamp. Katara spots a woman in water tribe clothes and recognizes her as her mom. 
Overjoyed, she runs to her, but finds that her mom is only a vision and she just finds a tree stump and then she breaks down sobbing, which, aww. <sighs> that's just, that's hard. That hurts. Rough. Oh, it gets more rough. Uh, just as rough. Uh, Sokka is chopping his way through the swamp, trying to reunite with a gang, and he sees a glowing lady in white, and it's Yue. Sokka has a hard time mm. believing it's her, and then the vision of Yue guilts him for not protecting her at the North Pole before disappearing. Ouch. You know what this reminds me of? It's It reminds me of those really heavy-handed visions the Avengers get in Age of Ultron. You know what? You're right. Yeah. <laughs> but done a little more better. <laughs> done better and a little, you know, slightly... Slightly more kid friendly. <laughs> right. <laughs> Slightly. Um, Aang, meanwhile, does not have any visions of past people to come back and haunt him. He runs and finds a giggling young girl in green and white clothing next to a flying boar. He then chases after them through the swamp, trying to find her, but she keeps eluding him. And we all know now this is Toph, his future earthbending teacher, and the flying boar is the symbol of the Beifong family. So, mm-hmm. you know, foreshadowing. Not really, really heavy handed foreshadowing going on right there. Yeah. Um, yeah, in case anyone wasn't paying attention, this is the exact same swamp that Top ends up retiring to in, you know, at the time of Legend of Korra, and Korra eventually stumbles into during season four of Legend of Korra, so, you know, this is not the last time we see this swamp within the Avatar universe. Well, <laughs> what does the guy say at the end? Time is an illusion. Mm-hmm. And it's weird that Top ends up staying at the swamp that we first see her in. Mm-hmm like poetry it rhymes god damn it george lucas anyway <laughs> anyway uh so the ang runs into katara and sokka as he's trying to chase the vision uh so they end up sharing their visions sokka chalks it all up to hunger and lack of sleep and then ang realizes that they've been driven right into the heart of the swamp he also chalks it up to swamp gas which i keep hearing a swamp ass <laughs> Yeah, I was watching the episode, and I think I looked away for something, and then I heard him say swamp ass, and I'm like, did Saga just say swamp ass? Then it's really the Florida episode if it's swamp ass. <laughs> God, I can't unhear it. I can't unhear it. You're welcome, listeners. Anyway, the swamp monster shows up right as Sokka's d- denying the supernatural magic shit that's happening there. They then battle yeah. the- Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry, I just want to say this uh, swamp monster, nightmares as a kid. Yeah. Absolute nightmares. It's the mask. I have a thing with masks. Like I talked about how the, like the blue spirit gave me nightmares. It's just the masks, man. The heebie-jeebies. Yeah. How are you surviving the pandemic then with all these different masks? Haha, <laughs> jokes. Oh, nightmares every night. Haha, <laughs> 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 jokes. They're <laughs> terrible. Anyway, they keep battling the SWAT monster, which keeps regrowing every single time they try to do any damage to it. Um, so then cliffhanger cut to abba who runs into the florida men hillbillies and abba promptly swims away after one of the florida men says they're fixing to eat him uh can't hey, do it. like why'd you tell him that hugh <laughs> just like the accents uh but literally like they, the so it turns out the florida men are all waterbenders and actually they turn their basically turn their canoes into airboats i don't know if you've ever seen an airboat or been on an airboat have you been on an airboat no I have, and it remind the way that they like you know basically propelled the thing. It is reminiscent of an airboat, and I've done an airboat tour in Florida. 
and like the thing like basically rises up over the water almost and like you see gators and stuff as you're riding by it is the most it is the peak florida experience i'm telling you i feel like this episode was just based on a weekend that bryke spent in florida or something they got a like, spiritual awakening in florida it's a swamp gas maybe yeah maybe they did swamp ass exactly yes also it take it's it looks like it takes them a lot it, it honestly like- don't <laughs> listen no one come from my throat here it reminded me of the bending in the last airbender because they first did a lot of movements right and they're like whirling no their water arms. and then there's no water and then eventually and then like like 15 seconds later the water bending actually happens <laughs> like too much swamp sorry, gas what it reminded Blame me of swamp gas on that one Oh my god. So then back to the gang. Oh wait, I forgot to mention that Appa and Momo end up getting captured by the swamp, wah, wah. by the by the Florida men. Um by the rednecks. Back to the gang. They're still fighting the swamp monster and as Katara slices at the swamp monster, it ends up revealing that there's a man controlling the swamp monster. It's a costume and he's a waterbender. Aang then asks why he called the, him if, you know, like, you know, why like why did you call me if you just wanted to kill me? And then the swamp monster ends up like dissolving and revealing a man in a leaf loincloth. And he's like, I didn't call to you. And then yeah. he's like, so what are you doing here? And then Sokka reveals that Aang is the avatar. And this sort of stuff happens a lot. Like talking about like how Aang like felt called to by the swamp. He's like, this stuff just happens to us a lot. I thought that was funny. Um, And they end up, he ends up bringing them to this giant swamp tree in the center of the swamp. The Banyan Grove tree. Yes, that 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 the fan, big fancy tree. Uh, Katar asks him who he is, and he says that he protects the swamp from those who want to hurt it. So he's basically a swamp Lorax. I'm calling. I'm, I'm just going. I'm just going to call him the swamp Lorax until we get his name in the oh episode. Oh my god! Swamp. We got we got a Florida man. We got swamp Lorax. Okay, it's just happening now. We're doing it. Please welcome to the stage, Swamp Lorax. <laughs> <laughs> so he says. So Swamp Lorax says the swamp is sacred and it's a mystical place, and that he was also called to the swamp too, like Aang. He revealed that the swamp is actually one big tree, and everything is connected to it over miles. It's like one big living organism, just like the whole world. He says, and he has a very profound line right there. He says, "You think you're any different than me or your friends or this tree?" If you listen hard enough, you can hear every living thing breathing together. You can feel everything growing. We are all living together, even if most folks don't act like it. We all have the same roots, and we are all branches of the same tree. I love that. <laughs> okay. I love that. Oh my live, God, laugh, love. Swamp Billy accent you got going on there? <laughs> There's no the hills in Florida. There's swamp billies. <laughs> Guitar then asks about their visions, and Swamp Lorax says that the swamp reveals visions of people that they've lost and people that we think are gone. And he says that we are still connected to them. Time is an illusion, and so is death. And that's something I've learned in quarantine, that time is an illusion. And time means nothing. Yeah. Sorry to undermine the, the profound moment that's happening here. But it says that we're still connected to them. So connect to the people we've lost. So that's sweet. You know, sweet Aww. sentiment. Aww. Aang then touches the tree and taps into the connection that the swamp has. Uh, the swamp has because of a big, a big network. And he then sees that Sa'apa is struggling in a net against the Florida men, and he tells the group to hurry. Meanwhile, the Florida men have captured Appa and Momo, and they're singing swamp shanties. Because, yes. The gang then swings in to rescue them, but then once both groups realize they're all waterbenders, the fighting then stops, and one of the Florida men says, that means we're kin. And then Swamp Lorax runs out. 
with Sokka and then Florida Man's like, hey, Hugh, what you doing? How you doing? And he's like, oh, I just, you know, scared a few people, you know, the huge. As I thought that was so funny, just the way that like yeah. that interaction happens. Like, oh, hi, Mark. Except, you know, it's, oh, hey, Hugh. Oh, no. <laughs> You're welcome. We're just ruining Avatar left and right. I mean, yes. <laughs> so uh, anyways, they end up going to the Swamp Trailer Park. I mean, Swamp People's Village. Um, and they keep a cat gator as a pet. I mean, it's just getting more and more Florida. I know it's supposed to be a very profound, ep- uh, you know, has some profound moments going on in this episode, but I can't oversee mm-hmm. Florida. It's about as pro, you know, it's about as prominent as the Florida gift shops and the, those big ass tacky gift shops in Orlando. Anyway, the Florida, yeah. the Florida men then ask the gang where they're from. And when Katara and Sokka say that they're from the South Pole, they assume that it's another swamp land like theirs because clearly they don't get out much. And then when Katara says that it's all ice and snow, they're like, well, no wonder you left. And that's what they say. That's what they say in Florida, I guess, because, you know, whenever, you know, we talk about how cold it is, they're like, yep, that's why everyone retires here. <laughs> Tosaka still doesn't believe in the visions. Uh, and he's and then when like Aang's like, well, what about like almost literally every single thing that I've done? And he's like, that's Avatar stuff. It doesn't count. And then he asks you how he did the tornado. And he's like, yeah, I can only bend water and plants. And so, like, there's, he's like, and then Sokka's like, well, you know, we can't, it's like, the weather's crazy sometimes. Nothing mysterious about the swamp. And then the screaming bird comes back and then gets bitch slapped by the swamp. And thank you, swamp. Thank you, yeah. Florida. I do say, I was like, okay, we get it. Sokka doesn't believe it. Like, it, like, kept, get, kept getting brought up. And I was just like, stop it. Okay, we get it. We get mm. it. He doesn't. He doesn't believe it. It's fine. Although, again, Sokka, how many mystical things need to happen in your life, personally to you, for you to believe that the universe is magic? Your your girlfriend turned into the moon, honey. Your girlfriend turned into the moon. Your best friend is a flying monk with glowing tattoos and eyeballs that can bend all four elements. Your sister is also can like move water and shit, like. Can heal people with water. Can heal people with water. <laughs> like, come on, Saga. Like, get it together, go. man. You know, I guess maybe you have to draw a line somewhere. You know, like how Hermione like denied that divination was a thing. Like, you got to draw a line somewhere. I guess that always pissed me off. But we're not a Harry Potter podcast. <laughs> no, anyway. we're not. No, we're not. <laughs> but yeah, cut back to the asshole swordsman. He's walking down the street at night and then gets attacked by a mysterious figure who then takes his two swords. The camera pans up to reveal the blue spirit. And that's it. <laughs> like gasp. Like gasp. <gasps> also, I thought you were calling the blue spirit an asshole swordsman. I'm like, what? <laughs> and then I connected the dots. I mean, hey, it depends like, on who you ask. It depends on who you true. ask. Some people might think, you know, some people in the Fire Nation might think he's an asshole swordsman because, you know, he took back the Avatar. Sure. So, hey, you know, perspective. Anyway, that's the end of the episode. All right. That's it. All right. That ends, that ends this Florida Man episode. All right. So time to move on to our Azula Bell counter. This episode, we got three Azula Bells. So let's hear it for three Azula Bells. So that brings our total Azula Bell counter to seven. Let's move on to Fandom Corner. Yes. So this Fandom Corner has already made my blood pressure rise. 
I mm-hmm. this guy, this person says anonymous confession says I know that a lot of Katara fans are going to get salty, but Katara's bending development was unrealistic. She could barely move a puddle of water, and then in one single episode, Paku says she's a master now. Toph's power was explained in the show, like learning from the badger molds, but it seems like Katara picks things up without any explanation or struggle. She just knows how to do it somehow. Andre, meanwhile, is massaging his temples because you know this is just a headache to read. Um. Why do you hate powerful men, women? Anonymous confession. We get it. You hate women. We get it. We fucking get it. But like, we do see Katara struggle with water bending. There's just a straight up a whole episode dedicated to how Aang was picking things up more easily than she was, and her getting jealous over that, and then her practicing to try to get better. She had the water bending skills. She was learning, and then mm-hmm. you know, and also it helps the fact that she kind of had to learn as she went because. The waterbending schools couldn't teach everything. She was constantly, you know, having to be in situations where she had to fight for her life using her waterbending. And then, you know, yeah, that would make her into a pretty freaking powerful waterbender. And she trained with Paku and she's still training as she's going along. So not that I had to justify all that to you, but it seems like you needed to hear it. I'm sorry. I'm so, this stuff like just. It's it's like Ray all over again with this. It's like, it is exactly like Ray. It's from Ray Star Wars. all over again. Oh my again. god! When sorry, listeners, we're gonna get a little ranty here. Go for Why, it. Why? When are we gonna stop having these bullshit criticisms of women in TV shows and movies? Look, I get it. You're threatened by powerful women. Mm-hmm. I don't really give a shit. You know who was another character who picked up something really well and no one ever questioned it? Fucking Zuko. Zuko never, ever, ever redirected lightning until he redirected Ozai's lightning and no one batted a fucking eye. Why? Like, what is the difference? If anything, it is more unrealistic that on his first try, he was able to redirect lightning from a very powerful firebender and no one bats a fucking eye. Also, you could say, yeah, Aang is the avatar. Of course, he's going to pick up things quickly. Listen, sometimes it did feel like he picked things up very quickly. Very quickly. If you look at season three, he learned firebending in like, what, six episodes? <laughs> Listen, and no one bats a fucking eye. I get he's the avatar, but still, no one batted an eye when Bolin started lava bending out of nowhere. Literally no one. No one batted an eye when Kai was already so good at airbending, or for that matter, Zaheer. No one bats a fucking eye. It is so, so incredibly annoying and so overtly sexist that it's just you're too lazy to come up with something that even hides that a little bit. And, like, you know, let's break it down. We don't get a definitive answer for how long they were actually at the North Pole. They were there for three episodes, but what is that? Three weeks? Three months? Well, not three months, but it's a matter of weeks. If Katara is practicing and training with the Master Waterbender every day for weeks, yeah, she's going to be a master. And also, we have no real way to really evaluate how long it takes to become a master. In our world, you know, it takes, what they say, 10,000 hours to become a master at something. That might not be the case in this world. We don't know. These are This is something, bending is something that is ingrained in somebody, right? It's mm. not, you know, playing the violin. That's not ingrained in people. You know, they, they work at it. They, they play it in 10,000 hours to master. For, for people who are bending, that is something that comes with the territory of just being alive as that person. So 
we have no way of measuring how long it takes to become a master. And thirdly, fuck off. Yeah. I don't care. This to me is not a valid criticism yeah. because it is so full of holes and comes from a place of sexism that I do not want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. It's the same people that complain about Katara um, saying that her mom died or something. She says it like three times in the entire show. Why are people le not letting her be emotional while Zuko over here is having tantrums about honor and like not being able to go home? Fuck off. He had a tantrum in this last episode. And like, you know, not really a tantrum, but you know, more like people should be like, you know, giving, you know, giving us things because we're royalty, you know. Also barely move a puddle of water. That in and of itself is incorrect. She was able to levitate a fucking fish in a ball of water. Halfway through the season, uh, the water bending scroll, she was able to bend waves to get an entire ship into the water. So no, she did a little more than bending a puddle of water. She stood her ground against a Paku, master. a water-bending master, and he even admitted that she was formidable. And she stood her ground for quite a while in that fight. So don't give me the bullshit of Katara unrealistically becoming a master. Shut up. Shut up. Shut up, please. Oh my god, my Fucking heart is pounding. I am so shut heated. Up. I'm tired. I'm just tired, man. It's like, it's 2021. Come up with some new mar arguments. Like, Jesus. I don't give a fuck. Yeah, there you go. All right. Phantom Corner out. <laughs> That's it. We have nothing else to <laughs> say. We've exhausted ourselves. <laughs> Let's get a sip of water before moving into our recommendations. God, I'm section. so hot. Oh my god. I, mm. I don't like to get negative on this podcast. I really don't. You could be a little negative as a treat. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, just as a little treat. Um, <laughs> yeah, we don't do it often. So, yeah. Anyway, I promise next week we'll have something a little more funnier for Phantom Corner. But that's what I found it this week. I was like, we have to talk about this. Yes. Um, let's move on to weekly recommendations. Kayla, what's your weekly recommendation? Um, so today I was scrolling through Tumblr, as I do, and I came across this uh, this thing called the Princess Bride Home Movie. And it was on YouTube, but the, originally it was on Quibi, RIP, Rest in Spaghetti, Never Forget, you know, that Ooh. whole thing. <laughs> um, and it basically is a bunch of A-list celebrities recording, like, performing The Princess Bride, like, it's all of it from their homes, like, reenacting the entire thing. The whole thing is on YouTube. It is <laughs> magnificent. Is Literally, it the original actors? They have Carrie Elwes, who plays... Uh, well, he was Wesley, Wesley in the original uh -huh. movie uh, and the, actually I think the original grandpa has a cameo at the end of the movie as well um, oh. but Harry Elwes plays Prince Humperdinck in one of the last scenes in the movie and it is glorious but they have yeah, he... <laughs> they have they incorporated like Lego they incorporated like you know like God. throwing dummies down the stairs it was so funny but they have literally Paul Rudd's in it, Jack Black, Diego Luna Pedro Pascal uh, Jennifer Garner, uh, so you know Sophie Turner and Joe Jonas. Uh, who else is in it? I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. Javier Bardem. Um, who oh else is God. in it? Like so, so many people. When did so this come out? This is during like the beginning of quarantine. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like about an hour and seven minutes long. I watched the entire thing. It is fucking delightful so if you need some serotonin in your system i recommend watching that because they change actors every like couple of scenes or so or sometimes mid-scene 
and it is so creative and so much fun and it's actually some really good acting happening in it too so that's great it's like funny and amazing and go watch it it's on youtube it's princess bride home movie it is incredible (laughs) i love it i love it my weekly recommendation is a little more self-improvement-y. I think mine was um, self-improvement. I think you feel better after watching that. But you know what? Go ahead. I would love well, to hear this. Yes, I don't mean to, I don't mean to demean <laughs> no, your weekly no, recommendation. It's okay. I wanted to make a joke. Sort of new, this is sort of like new age self-improvement. But I was talking with a friend. She is very um, spiritual and very uh, aware of a lot of things, particularly emotions and how our brain works and everything. We were talking and like, um, we were talking about how often we override our brain um, in a lot of different ways and particularly ignoring things like uh, needing to take a break, needing to shower, needing to eat, drink water. So this past week, I've been trying to practice this thing where if I'm working on something, you know, and listen, I I am self-employed. I work from home, so I'm in an office chair for most of the day um, and a lot of the times if I'm working long hours, I am just like, I just need to get this thing done, this thing done, and then I'll have a break. I've been trying this new thing where if my brain even thinks about leaving and going to sit down and looking at TikTok for a little bit, I listen to it. So even if I'm in the middle of something, obviously I can't do it when I'm recording a podcast, but um, if I'm in the middle of something that I can afford to just walk away from, I do. And I noticed that the stress level has significantly decreased because I've given myself the space to take a break when I need to. So if you are like me and you are grinding, especially if you are self-employed, but even if you are like at an office job or something, try to find time to listen to your brain. And if it needs a break, take the break. You know, I know that's a lot easier said than done, but that's just going to be my personal recommendation for this week. That's actually, that's a smart idea. Actually, I probably should do that more often (laughs) because I do that. It really helps. It really helps. I, also another thing that i did this week was like move my workspace into my kitchen like changing spots to work and like sitting on my couch and doing homework instead and like Mm -hmm. it's been much better weather these days so i've been like going outside for walks and today even though it was miserable i straight up just drove to the mall and just walked around the mall for like a half an hour like for you you know just get out of the house at some point you know we can go, you know, if you can go outside and go for a walk, like go do it. And even if you can't, even if the weather is miserable, go to your mall and just walk around. Wear a mask, obviously. You know, we still right. we're still in a pandemic after all. Stay away from people, but go for a walk around your mall. Get a pretzel or something if they have Aunt Anne's there. You know, like you know, Auntie Anne's. Like get that if you want. I don't know, but like just go for a walk. Go change your scenery. There's my other recommendation. There you go. I'm change your scenery. Austin. I love that. So yes. Go sign. So hashtag self care. <laughs> All right, that ends the recommendations section. If you would like to support us and the show while receiving some fun benefits and exclusive content, consider subscribing to us at the Av- Avatar Hour Podcast on Patreon, patreon.com slash the Avatar Hour Podcast in case you need the link. However, if you are not able to support us at this time with monthly donations, that's totally fine. You can subscribe to us for free wherever you get your podcast from and leave a review. 
Awesome. And if you'd like to send us feedback about the show or send in submissions for Fandom Corner, you can email us at theavatarhourpodcast at gmail.com or you can reach us on Facebook and Instagram at the Avatar Hour Podcast or on Twitter at Avatar Hour. And that ends our episode. Thank you all so much for listening. Y'all are wonderful. Uh, in case you forgot oh, already, course. I'm Kayla and you can follow me on uh, Kayla underscore underscore Gagnon on Twitter. And I am Andre. You can find me at hey, it's underscore Andre on Twitter. And yeah, we will see you guys next week for some more Avatar. Bye guys, stay safe.